Hello and welcome to the show. This is the Goodwin Podcast, and I am Nico Lapalusa, your host. And thank you for being here. Thank you for being with me. Thank you for um, you know showing up. I this you know this gives me life, and I'm really happy to do that. This my phone just fell off of the windowsill for no reason. After it was resting there for many, many moments. And um, ghosts? I don't know. This episode doesn't have a direction. So maybe ghosts and spirits is the exact place to start. And look, I don't... There's no, there's no discrediting many things or any things. I like to root myself in in logic and some sort of 3d newtonian sense of the world because i've just met too many people who you know being in in the spiritual community or the drug using communities or or what have you that their lack of groundedness just doesn't allow for me it doesn't fully connect with me like the points they're saying and in an attempt to be understood and an attempt to understand and maybe even bridge the gap um, between the, my, my mind and my heart or like science and, and religion or you know science and art or my family and friends, you know, friends group. Um, I think it's just important for me to even lead with a little bit of skepticism, a little bit of uh grounding or a little bit of clay or mud or dirt and science is equally you know is equally religious i think we all i think we're at the point of now understanding that uh there is a a cult-like delusion associated with science people I think we'll reflect back in 50 years, maybe less, maybe more, or maybe we're doing it right now, where we'll kind of see that, how we – I think it's fear, a fear of the, – the quote comes to mind, we're not um, afraid of rejection or we're afraid of how powerful we actually are. And – Science puts things in a box and people feel safe in the box. And going outside the box feels a little scary. But it's, there's just something going on, you know. There's something in the space between planets and stars. There's something going on there. There's an energy there. I wish I, uh, I knew what, I want to say Tesla. I do want to say Tesla, but there was some sort of uh, paper or or math that said if we can unlock the energy that's in the space, that's in space, we would have enough energy to supply the planet for all its needs for a crazy umpteen thousands of years, whatever it is. Um, so there's there's energy. In between, seeming in a seeming vacuum, 
But now I'm a little confused. I'm kind of confusing myself because what I find interesting is the sun. This okay. So space is freezing, freezing, freezing. I want to say it's like negative two hundred Kelvin, which very cold, very cold. And this isn't a science podcast, you know. I'm an enthusiast. I went to school for for chemistry. Uh, I've done a little bit of studying here or there, but you can tell by you know not knowing my facts and figures that um, and maybe they're not important. You know, I think people throw around facts and figures as some sort of superiority complex or some sort of like manipulation tactic. And maybe I'm, you know, being manipulative by being like a man of the people, you know, but I genuinely don't know the the statistics or the facts of the figures. But anyways, it's freezing in space, right? But the sun, even when, as you get closer to, to the sun, it's still negative 200 degrees. So how is the earth hotter than space that's closer by proximity to the sun? Huh? (laughs) I mean, it could be very logical. It makes sense. It's like, okay, we have a, we have something to catch the heat. The earth is something to catch the heat and we maintain that heat uh, with our atmosphere. No, it's just that easy. We just maintain it with our atmosphere. I guess I'm on one today. I think we'll come back around a little bit slower. But I thought I thought I do find that interesting, like that the sun's not actually that hot, right? Is that how it works? The sun's not hot. No, the sun's hot. But it's the planet and our composition that can actually receive that heat because in a vacuum there's nothing to heat up. And that makes me question where we originally started talking about this. If there's nothing in the vacuum, then what is it that we're unlocking that has that potential energy? So ghosts, right? (laughs) Yeah, there's, I mean, maybe everything can be explained logically, even if there is like a sense, even, even if there's, yeah, I don't even want to say that. Like, I pray to spirit. I, if I'm, I hope I'm judged on my actions and, you know, I pray mostly alone, but I'm also learning how to pray in groups too. Last episode, I talked about the, the ceremony I went to and, um, one of one beautiful kind of takeaway is I'm kind of unpacking this ceremony and I'm kind of landing into more of a sense of normalcy. I think it takes medicine about seven days to process through the body, which I like to think that it's always in me because I, I have come to really love the relationship with these cactuses and these plants and these fungi. But but maybe it takes about seven days to process. So maybe I'm I'm landing a little bit more. I'm processing and I, uh, I had a vocal lessons. I had vocal lessons yesterday and and the teacher asked, where do you find a blockage? 
with your voice? Is it through singing? Is it through speaking during certain topics? And like, where's your, where's your blockage for your voice? And what, what came up to me was actually uh, like a gratitude of how far I've come and being able to share my voice, uh, being able to even sing. Uh, and it's just, it's not that I'm indifferent. It's just, there's a confidence through, through something. It is a little, it feels like indifference because it's just not important. The mind chatter, that's the doubts are just, they're way smaller. My ability to share my voices has increased tremendously. And I actually wanted to answer the question by acknowledging and kind of celebrating how far I've, I've come with being able to share my voice and I actually, yeah, I, I pray that uh, everyone kind of finds this in themselves, particularly if they find themselves in a place of desperation, in a place of quiet desperation to be able to um, express themselves and find their voice and to sing. And something that the ceremony has taught, taught me was... Um, In hindsight, it's a little bit of how to pray in a group. And I'm still learning how to take up space with my voice. In this context of a podcast, right? Um, you're very much choosing to be here. Um, I'm choosing to be here. I'm also alone in this room besides my trusty companion, Mankey here, my... Uh, our mascot, Goodwin's mascot. And Mankey doesn't mind how much I talk. He prefers, he's kind of like this, the, the gentle, uh, silent type. And when I get in a group context, particularly with a group that I may be, I may be newer. I haven't earned my, my stripes, if you will. I haven't, um, you know, no one really knows me. There's a, there's a, I can already sense the contradiction that I'm about to say, and maybe we'll just talk about both. When you go to a new group, it's like, oh, no one knows me. I can express myself however I want. And I can really go for it because there's not all that baggage associated. There's no history to pull from. I can really shine in this moment. But what I kind of have leaned on is I don't know these people. uh, Maybe I should earn my keep, you know. I shouldn't take too much from the group, too much space from the group because um, I'm a I'm a guest, and it's interesting, I guess, when and where and who falls into these places of like, okay, they're a guest, they feel like a king, it, and they can receive, perhaps, um, like service or take more space up and those who kind of are a little more meek and um i've erred on the side of meek particularly in new groups and so i i I keep things concise i kept things short intentionally i think there's a power in it too um but also so there's a power in, in being short and sweet and simple. 
particularly in a group setting. Because we, we've all experienced kind of the opposite where someone's taking too much space, but they're not really getting anywhere. They're kind of just unfolding, unraveling. And it's beautiful to sit and give presence to that and to allow someone to do that and hold space for that. And my patience and ability to do that has increased tremendous. And I actually have come to enjoy it. Maybe part of the reason why I enjoy podcasts so much. It is kind of this unraveling. I do hope to have aims, though. I do have certain intentions with sharing with sharing the podcast that um, are overarching. But of course, I'm I'm also streaming streaming consciousness. So I don't tend to take up space in a group setting, or I haven't up to this point. I've seen the power of being short and sweet, but that is is rare, I'm finding, in these prayers. Like I mentioned last episode, there will be people who are praying for, for, you know, 30 minutes, 45 minutes straight. And sometimes it's beautiful, really impactful. And sometimes it's not, and sometimes it's not, and then it validates itself and becomes very powerful when they finally find their flow and they find their their groove. And I'd, I'd like to do that too. I'd like to uh, pray more off the off the cuff, but if you will, or just um, without limitation. And I'm learning how to do that. I'm learning how to take up space with my voice in a group setting. Um, And which is important coming from the side of giving or holding space a majority of the time. I like my path in the sense that I kind of have come from humility or maybe over-respectful allowing people to maybe take a little bit too much of my presence because I've been okay with silence in some sort of way. I've been comfortable with listening. And so I had to learn how to take up space. But I don't want to validate or perpetuate someone who's listening to this who takes up a lot of space, who usually needs to, to say something feel like they have to say something. I don't necessarily want to validate you if you particularly if you're unaware of this of the your ability to take space through conversation because you might need to learn the opposite. Because when you do speak, it is so much more powerful having listened, having held space. I think there's even like a sales tactic or manipulation tactic, manipulation not in the negative sense as much as um, persuasion. It's like be the last one to speak. It's like a Dale Carnegie, Dale Carnegie book, how to win friends and influence people, which the name seems a little is off-putting, right? It's um, it's kind of like the same negative connotation as manipulation. 
But but really, I, I, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, who doesn't want to be able to persuade, be able to have help people see from their perspective? And who doesn't want to have friends? Win friends seems like uh, some sort of possessive quality. But the book is... Yeah, it's I do that too. I kind of title videos. I title things in a way to kind of stir up some sort of emotion even if it's like, "Oh, this is wrong." Like, this can't be this can't be right. Um like I even did a little series manipulation tactics. And and really it was either like mild persuasion tactics of like or you can go back to the TikTok videos, but they were uh, the Jones effect, uh, indifference, and um, assuming the sale. And persuasion is important. I mean, particularly if you're of sign, sound mind and body, you can offer a perspective that can actually, you know, change someone or help someone up, you know, not to put someone down. Is there's no better position to be when you're a salesman and you and your product is actually going to help. Like you're actually doing a service for people. It's such a it's just a no lose. Maybe even some sort of win win win. And for the longest time, I remember like wanting to find the perfect product that would just fit, you know, that would be helpful, the most helpful. And nevertheless, didn't always happen. But I remember selling, you know, T-Mobile cell phones and, and some people just really needed a cell phone. And the price that I, we were given, we were given a decent product. It was hundreds of dollars less expensive to be on the same service. So it's like, oh my God, I'm going to make 500 bucks from this sale. They're going to save a couple hundred dollars a month. Like, great. And so ghosts, you know, think about that. Think about ghosts. Yeah, I sing to the spirits of the trees, you know. I talk to this I talk to the spirits of the lake. We've I've talked about this kind of a lot in this podcast, but like how we will uh this word always anthropomorphize, anthrop create like personify in a way. It's it's a little different than personification, but I'll personify a lake to communicate with it. Um because I do think there is communication there. There, I think there is some level of consciousness. And for me to be able to internal or conceptualize it, I give the lake a personality to interact with so that I can imagine that my human language is sometimes is a way to communicate. And then when I'm kind of settling into my body, I, I, I kind of feel that I through feeling I actually am communicating with these natural elements. It's probably some combination of both because my human language can really sense and trigger feeling and the feeling can trigger certain language and imagery. 
But the point is, is I think we create images to explain the mystery that seems to exist. And as far as ghosts, I'm open to it in a lot of ways. Some people say that all inanimate objects have a memory of some sort. I think Rupert Sheldrake talks about that. And I will, I don't know if I'm going as that that far particularly. And because I think things can be cleared off and I, I wonder how much like a table can hold or how long it can hold the memory. Does it remember being a tree? Does it remember where? And can I tap into that? Can I access that memory? I haven't up to this point. So I wonder if it's possible. And I do consider that. Just a small break. I'm going to clear some... Thank you for your patience. I had to clear some memory off of my computer. I'm getting filled up here. So I know my computer has memory because it's almost full. And I had to delete some previous podcasts to make space for this one, for the rest of the unfolding of this one. So I appreciate you sticking along, staying with it. And I think ghosts can sometimes be, we personify ghosts as well. We personify feelings or energy um, and call it ghosts. But there might just be a mis- In terms of their physical interaction with physical reality... It's hard to say. There are times where I think it's like, I I, rem- I have memories of this one powerful memory where I was doing some intentional like healing work. I actually think I was in, in the middle of a Reiki session. Take, you know, for what it's worth. And Reiki is fine. Like if, if it's your thing, cool. I think anyone giving you attention or focus is just beautiful and can be naturally healing in and of itself. Whether or not there, you know, there is energy that electromagnetic energy that we emit and whether someone can channel that to clear up certain things, I'm open to it. You know, I'm not going to discredit it. I just don't, it probably isn't the only way or the, maybe even the best way to take care of some things. But I was getting this Reiki session and in my mind's eye, I, there's this kind of, there's this time that I kept seeing like, this is creepy, right? I saw, I kept seeing like a girl. And when I was in the jungle of, of Peru, I had this imagery of like a girl under the stairs, kind of like Harry Potter, but you know, even a smaller under the stair space, just like kind of head in his, in her knees and like holding her knees, like kind of cowering, scared, yeah? But it was a powerful enough image that it stuck with me. 
And some years later, I was doing this Reiki session and and I saw this girl again. And this time, instead of her being scared, um, she's, you know, scared. She was being scary. Ring style. I know. I was like, oh, maybe you just watched the ring at an impressionable age. And this is what you're thinking. Maybe, maybe. But this is as it went. I, so this, this girl is being scared. I, I saw this kind of grotesque image, these grotesque images, these scary images. We'll maybe call it exorcist if you, if you need to. And in the session, I don't know if I triggered this or if, if it just came about, but I just started to picture, I'm like, okay, how can we, how can we help? How can I lean in to this scary, uh, this scary being? And I pictured like this beautiful oak tree. I don't know if I've ever seen it before on this hill at sunset. Um, like this beautiful, beautiful tree in this prairie on this hill at sunset. And I kind of like tried to bring the girl there. And in a way I did. And, and then in my mind's eye, of course, I became the oak tree. I became this large tree. And like the Keebler elves, I opened up the tree and invited the girl inside. And in my mind's eye, the girl came into the, came into the oak tree. That was me in a sense. And she became very angry. And she went from scary to furious and she started scratching and trying to destroy the tree from the inside out. And uh, I remember just holding her there in this mental tree prison-ish. And eventually... I don't, oh, I don't remember how it unfolded. I think eventually she settled down and I started weeping, crying. And then it seemed to pass. And in the moment it felt good. I mean, it felt like, I felt like I remembered having seen what I thought was her in, in the jungles of Peru. And it felt like it had been healed, that aspect of myself or my psyche, our past lives or whatever, whatever it is, was somehow healed. Um, But fast forward, having gotten cancer, I thought about it again. And, And like I've said, you can do the why question when you get sick, if you get sick, you can do why for infinity. You can go through every single moment of your life with a fine-tooth comb and it still might not bring you closer to peace or uh, understanding or knowing at least. But I thought about this this girl child and I wonder if inviting her in was the wrong thing to do. You know, I was encouraged most recently by a... um, a musician, a music coach. And we do talk about this kind of stuff. I trust him a lot. And he's like, yeah, you don't have to, don't invite scary things inside. 
you, know, you can you can work with them from outside. So it's just the thing I, I think about, I've thought about before. Again, it's come up right now. And as it pertains to ghosts, there was no physical things falling off shelves, doors closing. There's no sounds, but it was all in my mind's eye. So think about that, you know. If you have a ghost experience and there is a physical element to it, I'm interested, but I'll probably be skeptical, you know. I think that's fair. I'll be interested, but I'll also be skeptical. I'll hold space for you to tell me about it, but I'll be skeptical. And going back to the point of like being short and sweet in group settings with prayer. To me, I like to consider trimming the fat off of things. And also taking a pause, you know, not just speaking to speak, but allowing the pauses between the words to accompany the words, to build, you know, to build the words up, to frame them in, in, a, in a good way. And it kind of gets annoying to me. It can trigger this impatience when people aren't taking that pause. They're not taking that time to frame the words or to, um, you know, mindfully share what it is they're trying to, they're trying to, or what they're feeling. And I think of Ernest Hemingway. He had a little bit of an impact on me. I read a, a whole mess of his short stories and I read The Old Man in the Sea, and that's about it. I tried to read a, a book from Eden or Garden of Eden, and I got through half of it. Maybe I should finish it. Who knows? Actually, one of his short stories hit me like a ton of bricks. It triggered me so much at the time. It was The Short and Sweet Life of Francis McCumber. And it's about a man and his new wife who went on a safari. And they were like city slickers and they went on a safari and they were on this guided tour. I'm going to spoil the shit out of the short story, so just a heads up. Maybe I'll... Yeah, I'll, I'll spoil it a little bit. You can still read it. He, he explains it better than I'm going to. And they go on the safari. They're newlyweds. And it's a hunting safari, but they had never hunted before. So they're out on the trek and on the second day and they come face to face with a gazelle and it's, it's Francis, his opportunity to score some game, to shoot the gazelle and to provide, and to and to hunt. And he starts to line up his rifle, line up his shot, shaking, sweating. He's never killed anything before. And he never pulls the trigger. He doesn't take the shot. Well, that night, the wife sees this, 
and the and the hunting guide sees this. Well, that night, his wife sneaks out of their tent and goes and has sex with the hunting guide as some sort of like desire to be with an alpha man. You know, having been disappointed with her husband's inability to kill the gazelle, she is unattracted to him and then goes and makes love to this hunting guide and and Francis hears this and he doesn't do anything about it. I have like feeling stuff right now thinking about this story. I wonder why. And, and then the next day they go out on safari. Again, the husband's full of vinegar and piss. He's upset. Of course. How do you not kill the, you know. And they see a water buffalo. And the water buffalo starts to flee from sight. Well, Francis jumps out of the vehicle that they were driving in the safari vehicle and goes to chase the water buffalo and backed it up against a wall. And the caravan started to come around. And the water buffalo, not knowing what to do, turns to fight to charge Francis. Maybe I'll leave the story there. No, I can't do that to you guys. You're not going to read this short story. So the wife picks up a gun because somewhere along the way, Francis dropped his rifle. He was fumbling around and the water buffalo was about to charge and fight for his life. And as Francis is stumbling, he collects his gun, but the bullets fall out. The the buffalo starts charging at him. And his wife pulls up the gun and takes a shot. Only to have shot Francis. So she killed her husband instead of the buffalo. Dang it. I missed. Um, there was a piece, because that just sounds like a straight tragedy. The short and sweet life of Francis McCumber. After his wife had had sex with the with the safari guide. Oh, oh, as the buffalo was charging, he shot the buffalo. And in that moment, when the buffalo had fallen down, he felt the pride of having overcome his fears and obstacles only to look down and realize that he too had been shot by his wife. That was it. So it was very short and sweet. He, he overcomes his fears. He triumphs in the hunt only to die moments later. From it's, it's whew, it was such a triggering book. I remember reading that short story and being upset. The idea of um, like cuckoldery or just 
being taken advantage of by by your you know your, your wife or the person you've made a commitment to like that I mean, I would be lying if I said I hadn't thought of situations like that and they haven't tormented me at a particular time. And maybe that's, and that, that book definitely triggered that. And now I, I, oh man, I would like to say I wouldn't, put up with it I wouldn't put myself in that situation or I wouldn't or I wouldn't care you know I'd allow the person to be free but I don't know that whole situation is just so uncomfortable (laughs) this is the worst so that's one of the books and then the other book from Eden um, a couple goes on a their honeymoon and they meet a woman and they decide to have like invite her into their marriage but the thing is is they both be start to uh, create stronger connections with the woman that they meet on the trip and then they both start competing to earn her love instead of each other's and so their marriage is kind of falling apart but like they're both in love with the same woman and i didn't read the rest of i don't know how that one ends and my point of bringing this up is trimming the fat. Uh, Ernest Hemingway wrote The Old Man in the Sea, originally drafted at a thousand plus pages. And for anyone who knows the book, it's been cut down to about 190, 170 pages. So from a thousand to 175, and the point is, is there's not a word that isn't important in The Old Man in the Sea. Every word counts. There's no fat on it. And in that way, it's very powerful. And that's how I like to speak. And that's how I keep the intention I keep in mind when I'm sharing prayer and sharing almost anything is how do I make every word count? How does every word matter? Emphasizing the same point, I was in a, a writing class and it was like a playwriting portion. And they said, if there's a rifle hanging on the wall, in act one, it better be shot by act three. Meaning, if it's there, make sure it has meaning. It has significance when telling a story. And this is something of good storytellers. You know, I I look to stand-up comedians a lot. They're my favorite storytellers in a lot of ways. And they talk about trimming the fat, making every word count. And a good storyteller won't include erroneous details in a story that has the opportunity to get the listener lost. I say, I guess opportunity is the wrong word, but maybe there is a way to get the listener lost to bring them back again. And maybe in that way, you're using your words correctly. So things to consider when storytelling. I, I really am fascinated by it, especially as of recently, and I've really been trying to hone my skills in storytelling as well, hence the podcast. 
So a little bit of cool thing happened. Um, one of my videos from TikTok, someone tagged me in something today on Instagram. I'm like, oh, that's my video. I go and click on it. Someone's translated it all to Arabic. Someone wrote Arabic subtitles under it, under a video and shared it on this Instagram page, Arabic Friends, which has almost a million followers. They didn't tag me. Arabic Friends didn't tag me. But nevertheless, so someone found my video. They found it useful. They found it, they found it really lovely to listen to. It's things I wish I knew before 30 part 19, I believe. And it's basically if you have one or two people in your life that you can actually count on, then you are extremely blessed. There was a long time where I, I thought that having many friends, I thought I had many people to count on, only to find out that there were just many people that I can count on only superficially or in utilitarian purposes and vice versa. But if you have one or two people you can truly count on that will occasionally put you before themselves, occasionally, then you are blessed beyond measure. If you have one or two real good friends, true friends, you are blessed. And they took that video, translated it to Arabic, and they posted it on this site. It has, on Instagram, it has like 100,000 views and some out of tens of thousands likes, which is cool. I've never had success like that on Instagram before, only on TikTok. And uh, I, I love that. It's cool that it's in Arabic. Um, I actually have Arabic tattooed on my body, which... I think I talk about in the tattoo episode um, and I talk about concepts of cultural appropriation and you can go back and listen to that episode uh, if that's where your mind's at right now. Well, now it is because I mentioned it. But I have uh, a simple phrase, maktub, tattooed on my hip bone, kind of like where Jesus gets stabbed in the crucifixion story for water to, to run out. So I have this like the Sri Yantra, which has like a six pointed star in it. Six point stars right there. And then I have Arabic under it. And in my, in my youthful exuberance, I'm like, Oh, it's kind of, this will kind of bring peace in the middle East, right? Like bringing Arabic and, and like a, a Jewish symbol like together on one place. And I'm ironically, Christian, you know, and this is the place that Jesus gets stabbed for, for water to flow out of his body at the time of his death. Anyway, um, I got this Arabic tattooed on me and uh, maktub is a, a phrase that I learned from the book, The Alchemist. Um, and it means it is written. Um, it's not just destiny because how you can use it is in a myriad of ways to really um, know thyself, you know, and know God through knowing yourself, knowing God. And this is how I take it. This is how I, I bring it. And uh, you'd think that a tattoo like this would be unappealing to people, right? Particularly Arabic people. But this tattoo has brought me closer to Arabic people than I ever thought. 
I'd be in the locker room, I'd be on vacation, and I met people from Egypt specifically because they saw this tattoo. And they came up to me and talked to me, oh, Maktoub, oh my gosh, like, why, why'd you do that? Like, and we started talking and uh, became really good friends. Well, you became friends at the time. We spent some nights together and some days and it was beautiful. And I like having this, this, um, at the time I got this tattoo, you know, Arab people were still struggling from the defaming of, of 9-11 as well. So this is kind of a way to show that I'm an ally to all people despite ethnicity as well. So there was altruism built into it, um, which really helps me cope with any idea of cultural appropriation. And if someone even said that to me, I wouldn't hold it or uh, think about it even from, for a few moments. So it was really cool to be on Arabic Friends um, and have my video be impactful uh, in in that kind of way. And that actually, that video was inspired by my mom's father, my grandfather, Dada, Ivan. And uh, he used to tell my mother, Mia, if you have one friend, you are lucky. You don't need many friends. If you have one, you are fortunate. And my mom shared that with me, and I made a video about it. And it received a lot of love and attention on TikTok, and now it's receiving a lot of love and attention on uh, Instagram. So thank you, Dada. Thank you, Grandfather, um, for that wisdom that I've been able to share. And thank you all for being here. Thank you so much. This episode really came around, and I do find that if you're really able to settle into these episodes, they really do come around around the middle and towards the proverbial end. And I really start to find my flow. Um, but I'll be working to channel that early on so that it starts off strong and, and finishes strong as well. So, of course, always improving and always trying to figure out a way to trim the fat and, and tell stories a little bit better, a little bit more interesting and somehow in a good way. So thank you all for being here. I feel so much love right now. Holy crap. I love you guys. I uh, don't know who this is to yet, but I feel an immense sense of love for myself and uh, and and for you as well. I have that to share with you. And I, I hope you feel that and hear the sincerity in my voice and that you made it this far so that you can so you can truly feel that, you know, and maybe and maybe carry that a little bit with you on your day too. So thank you. Thank you so much for being here, for uh, giving me a sense of life, a sense of purpose, and um, this has been The Good Wind.